1: And I remember just driving down the freeway and I started crying again because I'm like, there's no way I just got this lease and now you're telling me I can't even sell food. Again, this comes with like what being an entrepreneur is. My brain was like, I guess this is it. I got to tell everyone I'm closing it down. I don't know what it's going to cost me to get out of the lease, but I guess I got to do it. And my brain was like, no, Lucy, what else can you sell? It's not like you have an empty room. There is a facility there. There sinks. There's benches, there's everything you need. And I'm like, oh, we're doing a Mexican cafe. There's coffee shops all over the world in LA, but there's not that many that represent our culture. We're gonna start selling cafe de olla, we're gonna start bringing talavera, we're gonna start selling pan dulce, whatever. We're doing this. And again, it went back to creating a space for the community. And then ever since then, we changed the concept. Where we used to sell tacos, I still kept it just as a running solo stand since in LA it's like something that people do. I was like, might as well do it. And then
0: the brick and mortar ended up turning into a cafe. It is the art of pivoting. That is entrepreneurship. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sasson. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Lucy, welcome to the show. I'm so, so excited for you to be here. Thank you for having me here, Janice. Absolutely. So we have had a long relationship at this point. You're, I want to say, part of my first ever cohort of side hustle students, which is Y'all will always have a really special place in my heart because I never in my wildest dreams could have imagined teaching people about business. And you trusting me to be your coach is such an honor, especially when I get to witness all the incredible things that you have been doing since we've worked together. So let's start off with an introduction and then we're going to get into all the amazing entrepreneurial stuff that you have going on.
1: Yes. So I'm Lucy. I am a first gen Latina and I was a secondary science high school teacher and middle school teacher for five years. And then now I am a full-time serial entrepreneur.
0: Okay. So you mentioned the fact that you're a teacher. So that tells me this whole journey as a business owner was not necessarily something that you planned to do. Is that accurate? 100%. I always wanted to be a teacher and leaving teaching was such a
1: challenging decision because it was my identity. And when I was seven years old, I wanted to be a teacher because for me, growing low income in South LA, my parents didn't speak any English and just having teachers who paved the way for me. I was lucky enough where I went to an elementary where there was a lot of black and brown teachers, which is not everyone's story. And they really shaped who I was because they were the first ones to teach me how to speak English.
0: Yeah, I can see how that experience would make you want to kind of give back to those folks who really showed up for you. So kind of talk me through your adolescence. What did you experience when it comes to money? So I did not like money. My
1: parents were not meant to be married. And I think even though I'm not married, I understand the traumas that money and marriage can have because I saw it firsthand from my parents. So they grew up in a very, very small town in Mexico where they're not allowed to date. You marry, you don't date. So they were forced to marry and they have very different values. Like my mom is like a hustler. She has multiple side hustles, very ambitious woman. And my dad, on the other hand, is just more of a content man. He sees the beauty in the small things. So first of all, there were a lot of struggles because they were undocumented and they didn't really have all these opportunities we have and then their values were so different. So now imagine that. And so there was a lot of domestic violence at my house due to the financial struggles we had or they were facing. And I was like, I do not like money. Money is evil because my parents are fighting for this thing.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people can resonate with that story because money is one of the most prominent causes of divorce, of relationship issues. And then when you're navigating not only that experience, but like the experience of being an immigrant, just not being able to necessarily earn money in a traditional way, right? All of that stuff can really compound. And then as a kid, you're watching all of that. And so I can imagine you saw maybe entrepreneurship as like this thing you did because you had no other options because you saw your mom hustling.
1: Correct, yes. So for me, business, I know that a lot of people have this idea that entrepreneurship is wealth. For me it was like, oh, we do it out of necessity. We do it because there's no other opportunities for us that we have to create our own.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about all the side hustles your mom's dabbled in? She does everything, but online, She's
1: very <laughs> I always tell her that you're missing out. But my very first memories and my recipe book has also a lot of storytelling in it. One of my first memories with my mom was a gray day and we were going to an apartment complex because my mom used to cook for men so my mom actually immigrated to the united states at 14 years old and her job was to cook and clean for immigrant men so she didn't come to the u.s to get an education it was just to work so that was a skill that she grew up and that she So my grandmother taught her how to cook and she was also really good at it. So she was like, you know what, I'm going to make money out of that. So my mom has sold tamales. She sold different types of food to friends and family. There was also a time where my parents worked for this company and my mom would sell newspapers to the flower district because they used the newspaper to wrap the flowers. She also used to sell rubber bands because that's another thing. So anywhere where my mom can find money, she would make money.
0: I love the inner hustle that I feel like we as Latinos have. I think we're just kind of built in a way that we figure shit out and it's like by any means necessary. So I'm curious, how has that mindset played into your own story?
1: Oh, and also
0: she sells flowers. When she
1: immigrated with my dad and settled down here, they sold flowers in the freeway. And then my mom also does that for big holidays. And I want to mention that because she just loves doing that. And to then go back to your question, I thought that I had to work really, really, really hard to make money. That was my mindset. If I'm not working, if I don't feel
0: tired at the end of the day, then I don't deserve to get paid what I got paid. I can absolutely relate to that. That's called that toxic hustle culture that so many of us are wrapped up in. And so I feel like it requires a lot of deprogramming of just the things that we have experienced. And it requires us to give ourselves a lot of compassion and permission to kind of question those narratives. Okay, so you decide at some point in your teaching career, this is not the thing for me. What was that moment for you? Or was it kind of a series of incidents that kind of made you realize, I don't wanna do this anymore?
1: I shared this story back in 2020 when I was taking your first course. So I wanted to be a teacher. I do remember I was a junior in high school and I was volunteering in a middle school and i was helping a teacher and he said i am a teacher but i also have my businesses and i have both because one allows me security and the other one allows me to live the lifestyle that i want and i didn't really understand that but it's just something that stayed with me and he was also latino and he grew up in the community so i'm like there's something like for him to tell me this there's something behind this so when i became a teacher I didn't necessarily want a business. I actually remember my uncle, who's also everyone in my family or my mom's side are entrepreneurs. He met me at a coffee shop. I was only seven months into teaching, and he's like, I want you to start a business with me. And I was like, No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, do you realize this is the first time I have benefits and I have a stable paycheck? Like back in 2017, I think I was taking like home i'm like why would i start a business with no benefits like no but he built that seed in me where i was like maybe i do need a business like what if i give it a try and it wasn't until a couple months later august of 2018 where my dad's dad got really sick so my grandfather got really really sick and my dad had to go to mexico and i really wanted to go with him but i didn't have any money to afford a plane ticket but i put it on a credit card just like many of us do in times of chaos and emergencies and i remember being there with my dad they took my grandfather from the town all the way to the city we visited him in the hospital but then it was time to go see my grandmother since we were making that trip might as well go to the town which is like a six hour drive i just remember sitting there Watching out the window, there was silence. My dad doesn't know how to express his emotions, and we're just there, like awkwardly waiting for the right to be over. And I just remember thinking, This is not it. How am I supposed to take care of my dad when he gets older? Like, I'm only 20 years apart from my dad, right? They have me very young. In 20 years, am I going to be able to have the money that I need to make sure that? he's okay because I'm also the oldest daughter. So that fear automatically kicked in because I felt that I had the responsibility all in me. And then my siblings were still in high school. So there was no way where I can be like, well, we can start pitching in little by little. So I decided I have to make more money because I have three generations. Technically my parents, me, and my children, if I decide to have any, and I said, I need more money. I need more money. And I was like, I'm going to start renting chairs and tables. And that's how the idea came because I'm like, well, LA, there's a lot of parties. We have good weather. It's a big city. A lot of people are already doing it. What's one more person doing it going to affect? So I just turned around to my dad and I said,
0: we're going to rent chairs and tables. Wow. And it started from there. All right. So talk me through the logistics. How does one set up this type of business? Because you now have experience with multiple types of businesses, but this was the first.
1: You just got to figure it out. Everything, everyone's going to figure out differently. For me, I don't know why ideas just started coming. I went to OfferUp, which is an app where you can buy and sell things. And I just searched party businesses for sale and i just got like a load of like some were five grand some were 15 grand and i saw one that was 12 grand i messaged the lady and i was like i'll buy your party supply next week if you give it to me for 10 grand and she said yes and mind you at this point i had 10k in personal credit card debt i was about to start my second year in my master's program which was about 10 grand a year i had no money so i was like i'm gonna have to go get a loan so That's another 10 grand. So we're looking at 30 grand. Logically, you'll be like, no, like get yourself out of debt first and then go buy a business. But just something was like, no, this is going to be the way I'm going to make money. I went to my credit union since I was a teacher. I have schools first and they accept me. They gave me the loan. At that time, it was like a 5.86 APR interest rate. And I thought it was okay. You know, it's not zero, but it's also like not 20. And I just started working. I started my email. I went to Yelp. This is the first time I stepped into Canva and I started creating the graphics that eventually I ended up going to staples.com to get my business cards printed and just slowly and surely like people started reaching out. But I think the first two months I had no clients and I was like, I have to pay this loan off. Did I just make the worst mistake of my life? And now instead of 20K by the end of the year, I'm gonna have to be paying 30K. But by the end of 2019, so 16 months passed, I had paid all of that debt off and I had saved 10 grand. And those were my first 10 grand saved. Plus, now that I'm remembering, I lost 4K in the stock market because I was being foolish with my money and I did not know how to invest properly. So it was like over 30 something grand that I had accumulated and made besides my teaching salary.
0: I imagine that when you have that return on your investment, that's the thing that makes you realize, oh, I can actually keep doing this. This is not necessarily the big risky thing that people have been saying that it is. It can actually be a ticket for me to increase my income And not necessarily even have to like learn new skills, you know, because it's like, okay, you're providing a service that's very simple. You're giving rental property to an event, right? So nobody's asking you to go and get another degree. It's not rocket science. It's just like, it's a logistical situation. How do I get this stuff from point A to point B? How do I get paid? How do people find out about what I'm doing? None of that is rocket science.
1: Yes. And I think that's why it's like a struggle, I think, with a lot of first gents in business, because a lot of these things don't require you to have a degree. So then you feel like, did I waste my time in college? Were all these sacrifices my parents did in vain? So I think there's a lot of questioning because a lot of businesses don't require a degree. It just requires a lot of skills.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so you start this business. At what point did you transition to food and why? in 2020. So all of this is
1: good, right? But I also was very young, right? I was just 23 when I started my business. So by this time I'm about to hit 25 and I burned out. It's not that I didn't want to teach. Well, I didn't want to teach, but I think my brain was like, no, you have to, you have to continue. This is your third year of teaching. You got 27 more years to go, but I just burned out. I couldn't get out of bed and I quit. And then COVID came, which was like, looking back, I probably should have not quit. But anyways, I quit and at that moment, I was like, well, let's start a food business. I've been wanting to do this. My mom has sold food since forever. I think there's some value in the food that we have. Everyone likes it. We started selling on the street, but because of COVID, my mom was like, well, no, let's not do that. And the following semester or fall, I ended up going back into teaching because I was like, well, there's nothing else I can do. There's COVID. I need to go back to stability. So I did that. But during that time was when I did a lot of my personal development. I started getting into courses like you. I started hiring a business coach so they can train me how I can actually make money. Because the other thing that I realized during COVID was because I had already acquired all this skills and information about personal finance and business, I wanted to teach others because that was one of the things that when I was starting my business, the main person that I looked up to or that I would find everywhere was Gary Vee. And I feel like Gary Vee, I mean, yes, he is an amazing entrepreneur, but I feel like there's a lot of things that we're missing like, you know, for me, like the business aspect us in Latinos is like, we have fights all the time. Like me and my mom are you all the time, but how do you get back into it? Because a lot of our businesses are interconnected with their family members. And I feel like that topic is missed out all the time. So I started my first Instagram page because I wanted to help other Latinas learn about money. For me, it just felt like easy to start with personal finance and COVID started passing by, right? And then 2021, my mom started selling food from her front yard. And this was the first time my mom started selling food to strangers, people that she did not know. And we saw people were coming back. We had returning customers. And it was 2021 and I needed to save money. I need a plan. I can't just quit like I quit last time. I told my mom, give me a year. I'm gonna save money. I'm gonna save six months worth of my living expenses and I'll join you. So that's what I did. And in May of 2022, I once again left teaching. And ever since then, I've been here. But we did start it off selling again on the street. And the reality is I started on the street just like anyone else because I had no idea how to do permits. I had no idea how to work through things. But I'm like, I can no longer stay in teaching because this type of business requires you to be committed 100%. You know, it's not like the party rental business where you can do it if you feel like it. This is like a commitment.
0: Okay. So, you know, one of the things that has always intimidated me about the food business is just like the perishability of the product, right? So you have to have things moving out the door or they go bad. And the profit margins, they can be very tight. If you don't know kind of what you're spending on your supplies and then pricing that accordingly so that you're actually making a decent profit, you could kind of be working for a net zero situation. So where does your savviness come from that perspective? What advice would you have to other people who want to sell food, but they're just like, I don't know. I don't even know if this is worth it.
1: Well, I'll be very honest. As a business owner, I'll tell you, it's not my smartest business, but I do this business because I am very passionate about it. And for me, for serving my culture, and for me, if this business is just a face, I'm okay with it. And I feel like not everyone is down for that. And also I do other things on the side because I understand. So that's one thing like, yes, you have to be very committed, but also I'm very smart with my time where I'm like, okay, this other free time that I have, I have to maximize. So eventually I can bring in other streams of income and that's the importance of it. Right? So the other thing that we did is we have always had a very small menu. So we first started off with quesadillas and that was all we did. And then I went to your conference, Our Money, Our Power, and I started to think about, okay, I like the quesadillas, but one, it's not really illustrating who we are and what our actual food is. So then I decided to go to Tacos de Guisado. And that has been an amazing shift because so many more people want to eat tacos. Like people want to eat tacos over quesadillas anytime, right? Because of how known they are. So that has been a really good shift. So the other thing that I have to say is be adaptable and be open to change because i feel like a lot of times we just oh this was my idea this was my plan now i have to go with it until forever i'm like no you have to switch and that has allowed a lot Um, The other thing that we do is we tend to figure out, okay, what's the cheapest products that we can put in? And that gives us a big, big margin. And then the other one, right? The ones like, for example, pork meat is so expensive. We try to mix it with vegetables. We start to figure out, okay, well, we're only going to have this amount. That's the other thing that I have done in my taco stand is like, we have this and the moment it sells out, it sells out. So I think that that's something that is good because I know in restaurants, you have to have that food or people talk smack. For us, our food is fresh. The moment is sold out. You have these other options.
0: Yeah. You got to get there early if you want the selection. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So talk me through kind of the logistics of starting off selling food on the street, right? Like in a cart versus now you're in a brick and mortar. That is an incredible journey to have gone on in such a short amount of time. What's the time frame we're talking about here? It's like three years? A year and a half. A year and a half, girl. Okay. So you go from selling food on the street to having your own restaurant in 18 months. Please tell me how. How does this happen? We started off in the street with no permit at all. So this was May of 2022.
1: And in October of 2022, I got a trailer. Now people are going to go crazy. No me Janice. But I took out my pension because the only way you can get a public health permit is if you have a trailer that's the only way and the cheapest one was 25 grand and this was like second hand. and i don't have 25 grand and i was like well do i again I think the party rental experience helped me. I'm like, do I wait until I have 25 grand or do I do what I think I should do? And it was hard because I really wish my mom would have done this. She's been selling food for 20 years. Why couldn't she have a trailer for us by now? But at the same time, it's discrediting all the hard work she has done. So I took it out. I was crying because I was like, I spent five years of my life working and this was my safety net for when I retired and now I'm letting it go. Well not letting it go. I'm using it, right? And I remember I had to be like, no, this is just how it is for us. And this is our reality. But I'm betting on myself and I can't look back. And once I did that, it went a couple of months being fully committed, but I'm like, no, this is it. The only way I'm gonna make this happen is if I truly, truly believe. So I got the permits, August of 2023 so eight months later i saw this brick and mortar that was up for lease it used to be a independent panera type of shop and i contacted the lady and she said that there was a lease plus the equipment was 25 grand and i was like not 25 grand again and i was like well the only way i can have these 25 grand is if i sell my trailer And I talked to her, I spoke to her and I'm like, okay, well, thank you for the information. I'll think about it. But obviously there was not much to think about because I didn't have 20, at least not 25 free to go and put a brick and mortar. And then I remember I'm like, okay, well, she'll forget about me. She calls me two days later. She's like, I've been thinking about you. What have you decided? And uh, she's like, there's someone else, but I want to make business with you. She's like, what's stopping you? I'm like, look, I just don't have the money. I'm not just going to put 25 grand in a business that I just have to start all over again. And she's like, I'll finance it for you. Don't worry. What?
0: Yeah. Oh my God. I'm going to cry. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah.
1: And like, I no interest. Like think about right now, how crazy the interest rates, you could have really been like this extra more. She broke down the payments for me and I was like, okay, that's doable. I can do that. We did the contract and I took over the shop. And when was this? This was August of 2023. So about five months for me. Oh my gosh. So what'd you do with the trailer? I sold it. I sold it and... I used it to pay some of the debt that we have had.
0: So it's lower down where we are. Let's take a pause here because I think we need to just acknowledge how radical self-belief, like what that shit actually looks like. It is literally what you are doing. It is how you're moving in the world. It's just knowing that I am going to fucking bet on myself. And I don't know how this shit's going to play out, but I know (laughs) I'm going to give it my all. And hopefully whoever's in charge here, the universe, God, whatever you believe in, they're going to make something happen because they can see the fact that I am here taking this shit seriously. So. If anybody that's listening has a doubt, if you can do the scary shit, you can absolutely do the scary shit. Just making the decision to do it, I think, is the hardest thing. And somehow things do tend to work out. I'm Sandra, and I'm
1: just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. you want to hear more? So oh, I want to hear it all.
0: (laughs) I was like, this is good. This is good. Right? Again, you don't know what you don't know. Right? And sometimes I think that honestly, that's a good thing. Because if you know too much, you're going to psych yourself out of shit.
1: So her was like a healthy sandwich facility. And when I went and look at it, I was like, I can buy a hood. I think it was going to be like a 10 grand investment. I'm like, okay, you know, long term doable, right? And then as I started getting into the paperwork, the paperwork was gonna take forever. I was like, wait, I was not told about this.
0: As I started looking more into- Just like paperwork to what? Like do the the work on revamping the restaurant and kind of doing- Just a public health permit and the business license for the
1: city. It was a completely different city where I was. So even to change a hood or to add a hood, it was going to take we're looking at 30 grand now so i was like wait how do we go from 10 to 30 it's way different now that was hard because that was another thing my food is tacos like that's my specialty what am i going to do if i can add a hood i'm already putting a lot of money in here i have to really think about that i met with some friends in the restaurant industry and basically we couldn't sell that food and i remember just driving down the freeway. And I started crying again because I'm like, there's no way I just got this lease. And now you're telling me I can't even sell food. Again, this comes with like what being an entrepreneur is. My brain was like, I guess this is it. I got to tell everyone I'm closing it down. I don't know what it's going to cost me to get out of the lease, but I guess I got to do it. And my brain was like, no, Lucy, what else can you sell? It's not like you have an empty room. There is a facility there. There's sinks. There's benches, there's everything you need. And I'm like, oh, we're doing a Mexican cafe. There's coffee shops all over the world in LA, but there's not that many that represent our culture. We're gonna start selling cafe de olla, we're gonna start bringing talavera, we're gonna start selling pan dulce, whatever. We're doing this. And again, it went back to creating a space for the community. And then ever since then, we changed the concept. Where we used to sell tacos, I still kept it just as a running solo stand since in LA it's like something that people do.
0: I was like, might as well do it. And then the brick and mortar ended up turning into a cafe. It is the art of pivoting. That is entrepreneurship. Oh my gosh. Okay. So now you have sort of like the taco stands, right? You said, and you do catering as well? Correct. Yes. And you're running the cafe? Yes. Girl, when do you sleep? Oh, I sleep good. (laughs) It's all about like your scheduling. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: just started where I have to sleep from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. just because I want to go to the gym earlier. So that's just a decision I have to make. But I mean, I want to have my eight hours of sleep. So it's a lot of that. I also think I don't have any kids. I feel like that responsibility. I'm not married. That's another responsibility. So I think I'm like just going around being free in certain ways. But I think the other thing has been help, outsourcing. I'll tell you this, and I have been thinking about this. At the beginning of 2023, I couldn't even contract one person full-time. I could probably pay them like for three days, but now I have one person full-time and two people part-time, and then my mom that comes in whenever she wants or she's
0: needed. And these are all folks who are cooking for you or...? What are they doing? Cooking, selling, taking over the shop. So different things. All right. So it sounds like you have kind of a system in place, right, to make sure that the things that need to happen are prioritized. But you're also prioritizing yourself, which I think is very easy to put last on the list as an entrepreneur, Why do you think it's important for you personally, like for how you show up in your business, for you to make yourself a priority? Because I have experienced
1: burnout before and I know how heavy that can be on you. I remember, so the party rental era I lost about 15 pounds and I'm already a small person. You see me in real life. So I lost a lot of weight and I couldn't recognize myself. It just came with a lot of other medical issues like my back was hurting all the time. I didn't have the energy. And so I'm always reminded I don't wanna be in that place anymore. I do still struggle with eating. That has just always been my lifelong struggle But I think for me also, sometimes I go and hang out with like one of my workers and I'm like, I'm going to eat here with you. And just having that self-awareness, I'm not taking care of myself right now. What can I do to make sure I do that? And for me, that's usually I call my sister and I'm like, hey, I'm not eating right now. Let's go have lunch. And I do that.
0: That's so important, right? Because you really will never be able to show up in your business as your boss bitch self if you are not really prioritizing how you feel, you're sleeping, you're eating, and just even like the people that you're surrounding yourself with. So you mentioned support. I want to know what is it like to be in business with your mom? I can imagine that's a pretty full circle moment now. It's beautiful and
1: it's stressful. I know people say, do not start a business with your family or do not have your family work for you. It has been a learning progress. At the beginning, we would argue all the time, fight all the time because I was challenging my mom's beliefs. She was like, Lucy, stop posting online. Like we come from a very small town. Everybody knows each other, very conservative. So she's like, people are going to talk bad about you. Like, don't do that. And I'm like, mom, you see all these people coming from like an hour away to try our food. Food, that can literally be a difference between like 20 to 30% of your daily revenue, like people from all over are coming. Slowly, she started seeing, you know, how we were getting opportunities and how we were like in La Feria de los Moles. And she was like, okay, like there's something to what this girl is doing. And I think like slowly she's becoming more confident in herself because I feel like a lot of her moms did not grow up with that confidence. And because of where they were born or the patriarchy and machismo, they always play small. And I'm telling my mom like, no, we don't got time to play small. Like this can be a life-changing moment for you.
0: Well, I think you also are so lucky to have an example of a woman who is just like unapologetic about her desire to make progress and handle her own thing and not be reliant on a man, right? because your mom has had to hustle her whole life. What do you say to especially Latinas who are still afraid to be that person in their relationship or in their circle of just like Being the woman who is out here getting the bag and not worrying about what men are going to think about that or what your family is going to think about that. So
1: for me, I knew I wasn't being myself to my parents, to my family. And I remember asking myself, am I gonna wait for my parents to pass away for me to be like my most authentic self? Or am I gonna let them see who I really am? And once I asked myself that question, that's when I started being who I really am, even with my parents. And I know that can sometimes be a shock because like, Así no te are right? like, we taught you like to respect us and all of this. And I'm like, I do respect you, but I also want you to hear what I have to say and what I have to do. And I feel like at the same time, my parents are very proud of me, like they don't show it. And I think a lot of the times we want that, like I get sad when my parents don't, but like even my dad, like he doesn't tell me every day or like as much as I want him to tell me how proud he is of me. There's times where he goes to my TikTok and he likes all my videos
0: that he hasn't watched. And I feel like, oh, like he took the time out of his day to do that. Like, that's cute. That's special. That's his way of kind of acknowledging what you're doing, even if he's not seeing it. Yes. I love that. You mentioned the fact that you had pursued your career as an educator because that's something that you always saw yourself doing and it almost became your identity. And I think a lot of people struggle with being able to let go of the identity that they thought they were going to have for their whole lives to go and assume this new one that comes with starting a business. What advice do you have for folks who are navigating those feelings right now? One of
1: the things that during COVID I started practicing was detachment because I feel like a lot of us attach ourselves to so many things. Like for me, I now see it as a face and I have to be happy with it and okay with it. Like if me being the owner of Sierra is just a face, then that's what it's gonna be. Like, I'm not gonna like continue trying to make things work if it's just not working out for me. And I think a lot of the times we attach our identity because we don't wanna seem like failures or that shame of they quit, they couldn't continue right because we have internalized a lot of those conversations especially in our community
0: but i'm like no like it didn't work i have to move on i mean that is what it is and i think we have to be okay with the idea of like evolving continuously as humans right we're not a tree that's planted in the ground that cannot move that needs to just be the tree forever you have permission to move to change to do whatever the hell it is that you feel called to do and i think especially if you do have the privilege of being a first gen kid here in america with so many opportunities, it's your duty to see and become that fully expressed version of yourself that your parents and your ancestors could not become. Because if we don't do that, then what the hell was the point of all the sacrifice?
1: Yes, and the other thing is, well, we still have the party rental supplies. We use it all the time. It's a side hustle for my dad. Even though I'm not fully invested in that business, it taught me so many skills that I now use in this business. And again, like that's the way I go about it. I'm like, if this business doesn't go well, or if I have to leave it and my priorities change, the amount of skills that I have
0: acquired in this last 18 months, I can only imagine what I'm going to apply it to a new business. What are some of those skills that stand out to you as like, these are part of my secret recipe for success?
1: For sure would be knowing how to talk to people storytelling. I think a lot of the times people come to our stand or to our cafe because they're like, we saw you. And then I started looking at your personal account and I started really liking the content that you create. All I'm really doing is documenting my life. So that's very inspiring. And then at the beginning, when I first started running my party rental business, I was so shy. I was taught to always be quiet, to not be assertive. I will literally be crying right before i would say bye to the people right i would set up the things and then i'm like how do i tell them that i have to go obviously (laughs) (laughs) and i would start crying and i'm like what if they don't like it what if they tell me it's ugly but then it's like no i learned it the hard way because there were times where some of my clients did things that were not okay or they were not paying or they were canceling last minute and i'm like wait that's on me Now I have to put all these rules and systems to process because I can't
0: be doing this. I can't be working for free. I can't be wasting my time. So those things have helped. Absolutely, it really is the most complex journey that one goes on when you start a business. There's so much personal development that comes unknowingly. There's so much shit that you have to confront about yourself, your limiting beliefs, the things you've been told, the things that you feel. That's why I say, even if you're not successful in it, everybody should at least attempt to start a business because there's just some shit you're gonna find out about yourself that you didn't even know was in you. All right, so you are now working on a cook book to capture some of these iconic recipes that have influenced your journey as a food entrepreneur. So tell me more about this book. What can folks expect to get out of it? And when can we find it?
1: Yes. So this book, I actually started working on it or the first draft is from, I believe, April 2021. And this was even before I even thought I was going to leave my teaching career to pursue a food business and i remember my grandmother died back in 2014 so it's been a minute it's almost 10 years that she passed away i was just 18 years old first year in college and my grandmother never saw me as an entrepreneur which is something that i mourn a lot because she was also an entrepreneur sold food had cows gosia she would sell food everything when she passed away it was really sad because for me i wanted to go to college to become a doctor well, teacher and then doctor to help her cure her diabetes. But obviously she passed away. And then I didn't think much of it. I was like, yeah, she used to work a lot. But then my mom continued cooking her food. And every time she would cook her food, she would be like, oh, you know, your abuelita used to cook it this way and that way. And I remember she would sell this food or she would make this food when we were this, for Dia de los Muertos and and such other festivities. I remember I would tell my mom, Your food is good, but I never want to cook. Like cooking is not for me. I was just like, No, like you want me to cook so I can learn how to cook for my husband. I don't want that. Don't show me. <laughs> Cause then then if I know how to cook, you're gonna want me to marry. <laughs> so I never really learned how to cook. Despite me helping my mom sell food since I was 10, 12 years old, I only knew how to chop vegetables and whatnot, but ya like the secret techniques, no. But when my grandmother passed away, and then once I was 22 years old, straight out of college, I was an adult with a job. I'm like, how do I not know how to cook for myself? This is like a little embarrassing. But I also was like, no, but my mom was really mean in the kitchen. So I'm like, it makes sense. And I slowly learned different recipes from different cultures. And I'm like, okay, there's no way I'm learning how to cook other recipes, especially from other cultures, but not mine and not where my mom's from and my family's from. So I told my mom, "Mom, I want to learn your recipes." Pero me tienes que enseñar bien. You have to be patient with me. You can't be screaming at me. And she was like, "Okay, I'll teach you." And little by little, I started learning, and we started writing the recipes because the other thing was. Again, it goes back. I thought if my mom passes away just like my grandmother and none of us in the family know how to cook, those recipes are lost forever. Like our culture is lost forever. And so that's what got me to start because we have molen adobo that is very, like it's only my mom. I haven't had it elsewhere. And people come to the stand and they're like, this food is casero. Like, yes, it tastes like my mom, but it's also very, very different. and. That's another thing that when you ask like how the profit margins for like a food business for me, it's like I also start to think, how can I maximize the streams of income in my food business? Because I do know it's not a really high profit margin. So for me, this book is like, look, if for some reason I close this food business and I don't want to think about it anymore, at least I have this book that one shows my culture that anyone future generations in my family can look it up and see it and third is well i can put it online and it can be a stream of income it'll be one of my first digital products that i'll be selling that's
0: long story short yeah thinking about what the evolution of your business is and just like giving yourself the option to play with different income streams. I think that's always such a smart thing to do. And I love the fact that you are now preserving your family's history in this process, too. It's an incredible thing to not only be able to share your family's culinary history with folks that come to your business, but it's also like you're preserving it for future generations so that they can continue to enjoy that. That's incredible. So I know that you've had a lot of visibility and success with your business. Tell me kind of some of the accolades that you have been able to, you know, acquire in this short amount of time. And what do you attribute that recognition to?
1: We were part of La Feria de los Moles, which is one of the biggest Mexican festival in the US. And we were first timers, of course. And there were about 12 vendors and probably the youngest vendor was there for five years. So we were with the big dogs of Poblano and Oaxaqueño food. So that was a big accomplishment for us because right the same day that I saw the lease for the brick and mortar was when I met with organizers of the event and I pitched them my idea, which was vegan mole, so oyster mushroom. And they were like, no one is doing that but you. So that's how I was able to get that that spot there. We're really thankful for that opportunity because they have a big PR team, right? They're marketing the event for like a month or so in advance. We were able to be in news outlets. We had an interview with Spectrum News One, which was something that I didn't even think was going to happen anytime soon. I have my action plan here and I had planned in one year to have five interviews and it happened within like four months. So that was cool. And yeah, we were like in the local news and so many people, again, went to the festival because they are like, well, we saw you and we wanted to support. So that was really amazing. And a lot of my online friends also went to support. And then last October, we applied for the TikTok grant and we got five grand. And then yesterday I announced, even though I knew for a couple of days already, we got the Verizon Small
0: Business Digital Ready Grant and that's a 10 grand, 10K grant. So girl, you are just out here putting yourself out there, getting the recognition that you rightfully deserve because you stopped being afraid, you stopped being scared. I remember when I first met you in the Side Hustle program. How shy. How incredibly shy you were. And to watch you now with this inner glow and just being this inspiration to other people, I'm so fucking proud of you, Lucy. Like honestly, You should be so proud of yourself for everything that you're doing. And I know this is just the beginning. I know that when folks listen to this episode, they're going to want to find out so much more about you, find out about Sierra Mexican cuisine, all the stuff that you have going on. So tell us first where we can find you and what we have to look forward to uh, everything that you're working on.
1: My personal account is by Lucy Ortega, where I document my life as a first gen business owner. And my food business, I have Sierra Mexican Cuisine, which is a cafe. We will be changing the name eventually because it doesn't make sense now that we changed the concept. But for now you'll find us at Sierra Mexican Cuisine. And our taco stand is Sierra Guisados. And what else? We're both on TikTok. We are on Instagram as well. I do have a podcast that I also put my little first-gen stories and chronicles and interview other women as well to show how they're breaking barriers and embracing success because it's so important. That's called the Socia Effect. Socia in Spanish means business partner. So the Socia Effect and by Luciortega.com is my website and slowly but surely I'm adding one blog post at a time. Thanks to you,
0: Janice. (laughs) I love it, and you're also going to be starting business coaching classes, soon, I correct? Am. Yes. So I I'm trying to
1: get done with the with the cookbook just so I can move on and do that because I'm really passionate. I love helping first gen women of color, BIPOC, start their businesses because I feel like we have to secure the back. But for me, it's also how much it can help you grow. Like the personal development plan, I would have not become who I am if it
0: wasn't for my businesses. Wow. Lucy, thank you so much for being here. I'm wishing you and your mom and your incredible team so much success. Please continue to unapologetically show up as a badass first in Latina entrepreneur because we need to see so many more examples of what it looks like to follow your dreams and actually make them come true. So thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Janice, and for creating this platform and many others. You're my inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Planning for your next trip?
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, The Ultimate Blueprint for Becoming Poderosa with Your Dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.